Welcome back to another episode of Wrong Opinions Only with your hosts, Justin and Kayla. And this week, we are throwing a lot at you because a lot has happened in this past year of movies and TV, Kayla. Exactly. And December is flying by and we got a lot of shows to wrap up and discuss. So we really have no time to waste today. We got to go right in. Let's dive right in, Kayla. What do we got? All right, I really want to do a top five films and a top five TV shows of 2022 as we come to a close. So for films, they had to have premiered in 2022. And then for shows, you could talk about a show if it was like a season premiered this year. That's fine. This is basically our whole podcast, right? We watch a ton of TV and a ton of movies and putting together a top five list for each for me was very difficult, more so for the shows. But there's just so much good stuff out there now. Okay, let's talk to really narrow it down. So much, and it's stressful because you feel like if you leave one at six or seven, you're saying it's not a good show, which is absolutely not the case. And we'd have a top 50 if we had five hours to talk about stuff for you. But you guys have past episodes to listen to, so that's fine. They don't want to listen to our number 48th favorite show of 2022. I mean, come on, the real fans next year, (laughs) 2023 goals, maybe. So let's start with films, like I said, and let's go with our number five film you start justin what was your number five film of the year oh man this was so difficult for me but i am mm-hmm. going with black panther wakanda forever as my oh, number okay. five top five for you top okay. five we just saw that recently yep. and i've seen i wish i would have saw more movies this year honestly i've been watching so much tvs i wish i mm-hmm. went out and saw more movies especially in theaters But it hit pretty much what I wanted. It was my favorite Marvel film of the year, Marvel or superhero film. And, you know, we could discuss it a little later in the pod, the specifics on it. But as soon as I finished, I was like, that's that's definitely top 10. And once I started looking at my list, it made the top five. Okay. Well, Connor Forever is a good one. Okay. Threw me off with that one. I feel like my number five could possibly be higher on your list, but I'm going to give it Top Gun Maverick was my number only five. number five kayla what are you doing i again we've talked about this movie before but it way superseded the original film it was yeah. nice to see tom cruise in a likable role um <laughs> and like it was amusing it was exactly as as stated it was an action film it was fun to watch it had some humor uh predictable sure but great to watch anyway so yeah it was my number five because it was i look at sometimes when a film can just give you what you want Show it some more respect, Kayla. Number five is well, atrocious. It's my number like, five, uh-huh. okay? You know? You'll hear that again on my list a little later here. Okay, so, so. My number four, I was going between two different movies here, and I, I know for a fact one you wouldn't have, the other I'm not sure. But I'm going to go with The Northman. I'm going with The Northman, and I watched this movie, and the first go-around, I'm like, you know, this isn't my favorite film, but I've watched some clips back on on YouTube and really kind of took in the theater experience. And I think it was great just having that experience in the theater for that movie because it was kind of so big and so grand. And it's one of those classic kind of Robert Eggers films where it's not really what you expect out of it. He's a little bit more, I guess, unique and sly with how he does things. He doesn't make these kind of big Michael Bay action classics, but it's more kind of the underlying um, premise of the movie and in between the lines. So I enjoyed it. You had Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, Anya Taylor-Joy. And once I kind of understood the direction he was going with the film, it, it really uh, like made my list for sure. 
I did like the Norseman. We saw it together. It was a lot more mysticism than I thought, and Nicole Kidman was did some interesting choices in that film. But I, that was definitely like in my close list for sure. Northman was up there. Um, my number four is going to be the film X, which is a horror film that came out. Um, and actually Pearl is kind of its prequel that also came out in the same year. So it's cool to see two films filmed back to back releasing in the same year. It was your typical slasher film, but I really liked who the ultimately the killer was. The acting Mia Goth was phenomenal. Um, it had some twists. It had a lot of humor, Brittany Snow's in it. It was just like a lot of good performances. And I, I left it going, this is a great, like modern slasher film. And then to see Pearl 2 this year was, was great. But I'm going to give X a little bit of the edge because it was the most like group of people coming to stay there filming a porno film. And then, you know, mayhem happens. As, as, it, will as it does. You know? As, as it, it does, does when you yes. form a porno film, for sure. I did not see it, so I can't really talk to it too much. That is not in my genre of movies Mm -hmm. I like to go see, but I'm glad you you found another one out there. And I think it is interesting that they had, you said, the two different, like, back-to-back. They released them this year, and they're sequels to each other, or how do they relate? So, spoiler alert, I mean, I have talked about X, I think, and The Pearl before on the pod, but the, it's an old woman that's a killer in X, and so Pearl is set in like the 1940s and it's basically her as a teenager and kind of how she became this kind of murderous villain. Oh, that's cool. She wants to be a star is her whole thing. Uh, and she's willing to kill for it. So that's, it's, it's kind of seeing like how she got to where she is, this killer old woman, uh, which is really good. So, yep. Yeah, that sounds super interesting uh, way to do those. So I'm glad at least it's getting some shine here on this very, uh, important podcast that everybody loves to listen to. So there you yes. go. So now we are in our top three. I am going as number three, The Batman. Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz. It was, what, a three-hour-long movie. It's the best sure thing that DC has done, in my opinion. It was dark. It was gritty. It was different than everything else. And that's why it's so high up on my list, because it gave me something that I have not seen from superhero movies and especially DC movies, that kind of underlying grit that you want to see out of a Batman character and how he gets to where he eventually gets to. It's it's him realizing what he can do, how to get away with things. Obviously, Zoe Kravitz is just a smoke show in that in that entire movie. I think everybody can agree on that. So it was a, it was a fun thing to see at the movies, and it's one that I will rewatch. And I can't say that about pretty much any other DC films. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Batman was you felt the three hours. I think maybe in some parts, but it, it'll be interesting now that Gunn is kind of taking over DC and in theory blowing everything up to pieces. How this kind of dark grittiness of a film is going to go into his kind of more humor-esque filmmaking. So I'll be curious where that lands. But, oh, yeah, it was – it was. I love the emo Batman, you know? I, lo- I love the emo Batman that's sad about life, you know, just really reflecting on – The black eyeliner, just the whole thing, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I'm into it. So, yeah, Batman was a great film. I, I came out of it surprised because I'm not a huge Batman fan, so that was good. I think my number three is going to be The Menu – which came out, of course, this year, and has a great cast. I won't go too much into the plot because you've yet to see it. Can't wait to I really want to see it, though. Yep. 
definitely a theater experience to me. Um, so very lightly, I would just say it it delivered. Like it was a great movie going experience. There was a lot of humor. There was some shock, and it was just a great satire. I mean, I love a simple plot, um, which is kind of like what it has a bit in its genre, but. It was phenomenal. I left it like going, I'm so glad that was a movie that was filmed. It was great. So the menu is definitely up there. Um, and that's my number three pick. Anya Taylor-Joy is just in, what, 27 different movies this year? It's insane. She's, just... she's going. After Queen's Gambit, she's like, let me take on all these interesting roles. And I'm loving it for her because she's great on screen. I mean, the Queen's Gambit was great. And we've now listed two movies with her in it so far. Yep. So that's great. My right, number toss. two... I think I'm I was thinking you would have on your list. Now I'm not so sure since clearly our movie tastes are very different here. But everything everywhere all at once just was a great movie. I had no expectations going into it. It was so weird. It was so out there. It was something different. Like I mentioned before, I like to kind of see something you haven't seen before when you go to a movie, especially when you have zero expectations going in. You had Michelle Yeoh who just crushed it in the entire film, Stephanie Hsu, Jamie Lee Curtis makes an appearance in there out of nowhere. You know, I don't know how to describe the movie to people without <laughs> them seeing it. Right. You just need to see it. There's no explanation that makes sense. There's multiverses, there's um, hot dog fingers, there's bad guys, there's good guys, things don't make any sense. There's tax accountants, like what the hell's going on here? But you leave and you're like, that was a fun experience to watch. So, spoiler alert, it is on my list. So I think now we can see where our ones are. Um, it is number one on my list. Um, I'll go into a little bit and how I felt about the film when we get to one. But great pick. Great pick. It was such a surprise this year, I'll say. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. My number two movie is a movie that I loved and that you own but haven't seen. Um, and so my number two pick is Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which I have a little Marcel uh, in my room. I can show you in a bit. But it it's an animation film. Um, it is surprisingly, like, touching um, about a little, little shell named Marcel with Shoes On. And it's kind of a documentary. So it's, like, real-world visuals with little Marcel. And someone is staying at an Airbnb and discovers him and his Nana and decides to film. He's a photographer and, or a photographer. He's a filmmaker. And he just like interviews him, how they live. They're little Marcel sep separated from his family. It's so, it's so sad. It's so tender. It has a lot of humor. It's great. I, I cannot recommend Marcel the show with shoes on. You just have to be a little open-minded to the concept of like, you know, a little animation in a real world picture. But I, I loved it. And every I've watched it twice now and I, I see a little more every time I watch it. It's just, it's, I mean, I tear up. It's sad. It's, it's great. I, I loved it. I'm so glad that that was a film. I feel very appreciative of films this year, I think, because so many films were on pause with COVID and everything that we had a bit of a hole a lot of things were postponed and so to see so many different stories like everything everywhere all at once and marcel like to come out and be popular po very popular films is great so yeah that's my number two well i'm glad i own it i guess i just haven't seen it so with based on what you and my wife said after watching it it's it's a bit of a tearjerker 
and I have not gotten the motivation to sit down and just expect to cry for a movie in a little while. So eventually I'll watch it. I don't it. understand that feeling you just <laughs> described. Yeah, that's know. where we differ, Kayla. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't compute, but yes, I, I hear you. Which is where All we right. understand the difference with my number one, Top mm-hmm. Gun Maverick. This is everything I wanted out of the movie. Tom Cruise, Miles Teller. It was just so much fun, especially seeing in theaters. I am so glad that Tom Cruise basically forced everybody to not put it on streaming and have to go to the theaters to see it. Because if you watch that at home on your TV screen, I don't care how good of a setup you have, it is not going to be the same. And that scene where he shows them how to do the course in uh, you know a minute and a half or whatever it is, and everybody's like, you can't do it in less than two minutes, and he crushes it. One of the best, most fun scenes of the year by far. I've watched it on YouTube a handful of times. If it pops up on Instagram Reels or TikTok, I'm watching it every single time. It just gets me goosebumps, gets me excited. Who cares that the plot doesn't make a total amount of sense, but John Hamm's in there. He's a great secondary character. I just, I love the movie, Kayla. I could tell, you know, I feel I feel more patriotic than where you describe this film. Um, it's a great film. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. So you sh- if you haven't seen it in theater, I think it's still in theaters right now. They're just doing another push to it um, because it's making made ridiculous amounts of money. I don't know if another's going to stem from this, but uh, great, great cinema. Okay. Watch it. If you haven't, I don't care if you like those types of movies or not. Just go watch it. Everybody's going to love that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, So my number one, as I said, is everything, everywhere, all at once. For me, I didn't know, I mean, purposely, the film didn't want you to know too much of what the story was going to end up being. So you just kind of, once things started to get weird, which is after the first, like, 15, 20 minutes, (laughs) you go, okay, I'm just going to have to lean in or I'm just not going to. And I don't typically like some of the humor that was in this film. Like, if it was done a different way, like, I feel like it was, like, Froish humor, like silly, goofy, like nonsensical humor, but done in such a smart way that like I was laughing so many times in this film and it would surprise me because I was like, how is that making me laugh so much? And and within all the crazy, silly, truly ridiculous things that happened in this film, there was like a touching mother daughter story, a husband wife story that was like, how are you able to tell this like intense intense description of like nihilism and in the relationships we have with our kids and our parents and have like um flying dildo attacks at people like how do those two things happen at once but it's everything everywhere all at once and i should have known all along it it's was a the beautiful perfect film. title for that film yes and because you have it's like what does that mean that means nothing to me until you watch the movie then you're like oh that perfectly that describes the movie the best way you can everything everywhere all at once that's what it is yes may we all not go into the great bagel of nothingness and instead <laughs> you know discover the great everything other. bagel of nothingness. yes, yes. I, i'm really ruining it for it when it comes to oscar time but we'll worry about that next year so that's my number one good on films we did it we did it we did it we did it kayla <laughs> and now we get into at least my bread and butter here top five TV shows of 2022. Okay, I'll start. I'll start with my number five. I probably have changed this 15 times in the past 10 minutes alone, just because to leave something off my five feels like I'm saying it sucks. And it doesn't. But I'm going to go with Stranger Things season four for my number five. 
I we've been waiting a bit for Stranger Things to come back, and it delivered. I think it had some standout performances. The series was done very interesting in that some episodes dropped one month, and then you had to wait another month for the rest to go. Some of them were movie-length, almost films that you had to watch them. This show is always keeping people apart just so they can bring them back, which is something that you'd be like, okay, the third time these people get separated, how does this keep happening? But when I'm crying at the reunion, I'm like, you know, this is why you're doing it, because you get me every time. It is great. I can't wait for the last season, and yet I want it to not come so it doesn't end. And yeah, I was all about Stranger Things this summer. It was great. So I guess I should uh, finally watch that? Or... You should, Justin. <laughs> you should. <laughs> I know. It's just, yeah. There's been so many things I that are still in the queue. And even looking at my top five list here, there's about a dozen that were on the outside looking in that could have made a top five most other years. But there's been so much good TV out there. They just couldn't crack it this time. So my number five, this might be a bit of a surprise based on our content that we put out the last couple months. House of the Dragon is my number five. I I feel like a lot of people have it higher up on the list. Mm -hmm. I couldn't quite bring it there. I think it took a little bit to get its footing. I think the last few episodes were great and have me very excited going into season two. Emma Darcy crushed it. Olivia Cook crushed it. Matt Smith obviously is just a god among men, right? He's amazing. So I love (laughs) how the second half of the season transitioned. It just it took me a little bit to get into it, and I think that's just how how it needed to be set up in order to give the audience those tidbits that they need to know of the motivations of the main characters as they go further into the Dance of the Dragon. So number five on my list, but I could not bump it up any higher because of those things. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I definitely went back and forth, not but I did not have it on my list ultimately. I loved talking about it. I loved watching it. But for me, I'm looking at kind of the totality of scenes. And for me, I really struggled with like a really great scene that had me just jaw dropping. And then some filler that just had me going like, why are we watching this? And why aren't we seeing more of this? And the time jumps. It It was hard for me. But I have a lot of hopes for season two, which... I don't even think we can talk about it next year because I don't even think season two is going to premiere next year. And so we'll see yeah, what 2024 sp- brings. Yeah. Spring 2024 is what it's looking like right now. Brutal, brutal, but we shall see. At least they got some time to work on some things. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, my number four is going to be the bear, which was just That'll a be on phenomenal, phenomenal show with some just great performances. It was original. It was, it had humor. It had an intensity. I mean, that, that second to last episode alone, it had like hopeful moments. I mean, the dynamic of a kitchen, you know me, I watch a lot of kitchen shows, cooking shows was so good. It was a, a surprise this year because I was like, what is this bear that FX keeps promoting? Um, it's interrupting my what we do in the shadows watching. And there it was. And I was hooked. I was hooked. I remember texting you like started the bear and I'm like, you know, halfway through or whatever. Like it's it was just so bingeable and some rock star performances that definitely have this cast is going to go off and obviously continue the bear, but yeah. go on to like a ton of other stuff. And I can't wait. 
Yeah, and I'll mention that later on in my list, but I agree with everything you said there. It came out of nowhere, and you don't see that as much nowadays, but this got word of mouth, right? Everybody was talking, oh, The Bear, The Bear, and I'm like, what is this show, The Bear? And then I go on Hulu, I'm like, whatever, I'll give the first episode a shot. And then I immediately was like, I need to watch this entire season right now because this is so good. Jeremy Allen White, Evan Moss Bachrock, like just great acting performances. It got you into the kitchen. It hit the humor. It hit the drama. It hit kind of the intensity, especially that episode that we talked about with the one shot where they just shot yes. like a 27-minute scene essentially where it was a continuous shot was amazing they were very interesting artistically with how they handled some things the acting and the writing was great and it ends and you're looking forward to a season two and you can tell and i it doesn't always work out this way but i think season one it was we're make putting the show together with no plans for season two and then as everybody started getting into it they're like well we're gonna have to make a second season of this but they left season one in a spot where it could have ended there or it can continue and with the amount of fanfare it had, everybody's looking forward to uh, season two for sure. Absolutely. I'd just like to give a shout out to FX, who really is allowing these specific storytellers to kind of have a show. And it's, I think they're gaining, you know, attraction and money and an audience from it. Like, I feel like a lot of people are so safe and like we've always done competition shows. We can't not do those. Our channel's always done these type of shows. And FX is like, eh, you want a sitcom about vampires living together? Done. You know, you want a show about people working in a kitchen in Chicago? Done. Like FX is doing those shows and I love seeing what new things coming because usually it's pretty good. So great And they have a great relationship with uh with Hulu there which kind of gets it out to a lot bigger of an audience. Cause I didn't see any real promotion for the bear unless you go on Hulu and then it's right. up there like one of our new yeah. shows. So that's, yep. it really worked out well for FX there. So uh, off that tangent of your number four, my number mm -hmm. four is the dropout. Okay, we talked yeah. about, we talked about the dropout, a handful of different episodes. Amanda Seyfried crushes it as Elizabeth Holmes. You have Naveen Andrews kills it at Sonny Balwani it's a very interesting story. You know, I am a sucker for these kind of true stories of the rise and the fall of these people that were titans in the industry. And Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, it was a multi-billion dollar company that just fell flat. And she recently, a few weeks ago, I guess, was sentenced to 11 years in prison with three years of supervised visits or something after that. And she's 38 years old now, so she's going to be in prison until she's 50. She's pregnant with a baby right now. She just had a baby a little while ago that's one years old with her now husband, Billy Evans, who is a hotel heir. It just, it's so, it, I don't know what to, to really say besides it's such a complex storyline that I'm so impressed with how they handled it on the TV show because I thought it was going to be too gimmicky and too kind of out there. But Amanda Seyfried's performance was great, and I thought they handled it very well. Her performance was so good that when Jennifer Lawrence got the opportunity to play Elizabeth Holmes and then watch in, an, like, another film or TV show, saw how she Amanda Seyfried did. Elizabeth Holmes said, nope, um, already been done, couldn't do that better. I'm out of this. I'm out of this. And it just was – it's hard to do an Elizabeth Holmes because – 
this woman conned so yep. many people. And some corporations that you're like, it's kind of like a scammer getting scammed is amusing. But it's like, how did they, how did she have nothing and was on Time Magazine? Like, how did you come, you know, from this to this? And the drop down, obviously, the dropout was so massive. She hurt so many people. And she's also so quirky and odd and what? And Amanda Seyfried, like, I feel like that's a role that when you get out of it, it's hard for you to not have those mannerisms because they were so specific. They're like, yeah. you know, I mean, great, great show. So, and yeah. you could, we were kind of in a time in society where there's a clamoring for these types of stories, whether they're documentaries or TV shows or adaptations in film, but you had the dropout, you had, we crashed about we work, you had inventing Anna about the scammer there. And then you had, the story about uh, Uber too. So all of these kind of came out within a month or two of each other. And the dropout was by far the best of them. Oh yeah. Completely agree. Completely agree. Okay. Number three, my number three is another FX show. So again, shout out to FX and it's reservation dogs, which I kind of got into in the second season that premiered third season that premiered this year. And it blew me away. I couldn't watch them fast enough. It was, first of all, such an interesting look at life on a reservation, which I feel like we don't see at all. And when we do, it's usually problematic and not through the lens of, like, indigenous people, which is exactly what was correctly done on Reservation Dogs through the actors, the the rest of the cast, the crew, um, the creator himself, like, and it shows, it shows, because it, it doesn't kind of hold your hand in explanations of cultural things you might not know. Um, it's funny, it's touching, it's, it, the premise of it starts very sad about this kind of group of teen friends that have a loss and how they're kind of navigating friendship without this person and, you know, the memory and, and what happens when you get older and, and life on and off the reservation. And it just was great. I it just phenomenal. I really cannot rave about this show enough. Like, I feel like I don't know enough people that have seen it. And all I want to do is talk about it because I just I just think it's so clever in its storytelling. I, I mean, Reservation Dogs was chef's kiss. So good this year. Yeah, that's another one I have uh, I have not seen, but it's on the the growing list of shows that I need to watch here soon. So we'll see soon. So my number three, we're on number three, right, Kayla? Mm -hmm. Yep. Is Industry. Now, I know you weren't really able to get into the show as much, right? You gave it the old college try, and then you I really bailed. did. I yeah. really did. So this is uh, created by uh, Mickey Down and Conrad K. Mickey and Conrad, as they're known, they've worked together for years. It's on HBO Max, and we've talked about it a little bit on other pods in passing, but it's about these 20-somethings trying to navigate uh, the intense world of investment banking in London. And it's a very kind of like do or die type of career where they're constantly stressed out, trying to get deals done. There's, there's gratuitous sex, there's cocaine, there's drugs and alcohol all over the place. And I just think it's really well done. Myala Harold just crushed it. It's her really first big performance. I think she was also in, uh, in that movie Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and is getting some work off of industry here. You had um, yep, she's Ken, great in that film. Ken Luang played Eric Tao, who is great. And then you had in season two, it took a little bit of a different turn than season one. 
I think I enjoyed season one a little bit more because it was so new and fresh that I didn't know what to expect. Season two comes with a little bit more expectations. And they brought in Jay Duplass playing Jesse Bloom, this this kind of eccentric investor, venture capitalist who always gets his way. And it, you're dealing with a Harper Stearns character here on, is she going to go with the old guard that she trusts? Is she going to trust this new guy? Is she going to for forge her own thing? And just the relationships between the characters really started to bloom in season two here, where you saw them interacting in different ways. They're finally trying to really find their footing on what they're good at and where they can progress their careers here. And I just, I like it. I know it's not your type of show, but if you give me a finance driven show that also has this character development and all of the random partying and gratuitous sex and, Oh, also they need to make sure they get this deal done to buy this company in the next two hours. It's just every episode is so intense. That's like that anxiety builds up until the breaking point and, Cannot recommend it more than enough. Does that make sense? More than enough? Who knows? More than enough? You know, all of enough? <laughs> um, yes, I'm happy for you. And the many, many industry lovers that there are. It's just the the setting of of where it sits is hard is difficult for me to to get that. But uh, you know, I'm still willing to make it another third attempt because people love the show. So I there's I hate to be I have FOMO of a popular show that I'm not getting. So, so well, well I think once you hear it. like, oh well uh they need to put out this call option in order to get this at the uh reduced strike price, your eyes glaze over and you're like I that's don't want exactly, to hear it. That's yeah. exactly what's happening. Yes, yeah. Okay. But you, you wow, you got me. Yeah. It's a bit like succession in a way where there's no real character you're rooting for necessarily. All the characters have flaws, but they're all interesting in their own way. But it is a little bit more into the weeds on the finance jargon than Succession is. So, Yes, yes. Okay, that's a good one. All right, so my number two is going to be Andor. Um, we've talked about Andor a lot. We're going to continue talking about Andor a little later. And it just blew my mind i'm not gonna actually talk too much just because we will be going into the last few episodes but andor was great it's for people that don't love star wars it's for people who do love star wars it's for people who love war it's for people who like fighting for justice it's it's a show that when i have been recommending it to people in my life they tried it and they enjoyed it and i think that is great for the star wars honestly legacy as far as tv shows that have been kind of a little bit like this so andor is my number two great great stuff yeah, absolutely. Great show. You know, Tony Gilroy just crushed it there. And like you said, you don't need to be a fan of Star Wars to really like the show, which is, I think, something they've been trying to break through. Like the Mandalorian is set in a Star Wars universe, but it doesn't have really all the major gimmicks. And then you have Obi-Wan, which went back to more of the gimmicks. Let's see Darth Vader. Let's see Obi-Wan. And it's two completely different types of shows. And what I look for in these kind of creative Disney Plus uh, ventures that they're doing is what you see in Andor. What are all the specifics that are happening here and just getting into the, the nitty gritty of the politics on how the rebellion forms, on how the Empire got this much power and nobody pushed back. It's, it's everything I wanted for out of the show and I cannot be more excited for season two. I'm just going to use that as my catchphrase now. So... My number two on my list here is The Bear. So The Bear, I know Kayla had it 
later or earlier on her list here, but we talked about it then. Absolutely love the show. I could not push it any farther down the number two on my list. All right, Kayla. So now the time has come. What is your number one TV show of 2022? My number one is a show that I honestly felt was just crafted for me. It hit everything that I want in a TV show. And it is a league of their own. Love after oh, I thought you were gonna say love after lockup. I don't <laughs> Um, for sure, for sure. That's on another list. Um, it's a league of their own on Amazon Prime, which I gotta say, Amazon Prime really did me dirty on the wilds. Um if they don't renew a league of their own, I just I maybe I may have to resort to some bad tactics because what a great show. Kayla it Ryan. was <laughs> I will riot. I will be in the streets. Um, it just was hilarious. It was so gay. Way more than I thought it would be. Um, and yet not enough. And it just was cool seeing a movie that I really liked in a new way, in a more modern way. Um, I thought it gave justice to a bunch of characters, which can be hard in a show that has maybe more celebrities that are more geared to be in the camera more. But I felt like it gave everyone an equal opportunity to kind of shine. And I just loved it. I, I couldn't watch it fast enough. It was a great show. So it's my number one. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. It didn't make my top five, obviously. I did have um, The Wilds was one I was considering, but it started in 2021. It ended in early 2022. And I was like, there's so much good TV that started in 2022. I didn't consider it for my list, but that was fair enough, fair enough. one I was up in the air on. All right, so my number one show of 2022, maybe you've heard of it, I'm not sure, Andor. Yeah, we already talked about Andor, we're going to talk about it again, I don't need to get into details (laughs) here, but just great, just great. Just great, just great television, thank you, thank you, and thank you. Um, And I think that transitioned us very well right into an Andor wrap-up, because we still have to talk about episodes 10 through 12, so let's go. All right, so Andor, episode 10 through 12. We need to wrap up the season because it ended, and I'm bummed, but at least we get a second season out of the mix, and hopefully next year, time will tell. What did you think about the season as a whole when it came to a close? Just great. Like we just said, I'll just keep repeating great, fantastic, amazing, loved it, yada, yada. (laughs) I love that Tony Gilroy, he put these in three-episode chunks, for the most part. So you have your first three, your last or your second three and 10 through 12 is another basically three episode arc of Cassian finding a way to get out of prison and the end where it turns, you have the reunion back at Ferrix and it just sets the stage for, okay, this rebellion's about to kick off. Let's get going. Love the way it ended. Oh yeah. I was pumped. Um, I was like, wow, this is what Star Wars could be. Star Wars could not just be for the nostalgic kid in me with some of the, um, how should I say this? Sometimes a lot of Star Wars shows are gearing, trying to gear towards everyone, especially younger generations, uh, which I understand why. But because of that, there's not always that depth to me. I'm more going off of I love being in this world and seeing characters in these worlds, not so much the story. This story felt like a story for me. Like, it felt like an adult story for me that was in Star Wars. Yeah, it's very adult. And I have really seen that. Yes. Yeah. And I loved it. Um, Completely agree. I, and you know. 
as we know, it's it's the uh, precursor to Rogue One, which is our favorite Star Wars movie. So we're pri- kind of destined to love this show, especially with the same creator of Rogue One doing this series and plan to do season two as well. It's really just the way it wraps up. The beginning, Cassian's he's pretty immature. He doesn't think the Empire can really get a grasp of every place in the universe. And it fits perfectly that he thinks he's gotten away, right? He's gotten away from the Empire. He went to this far-off land. And then he gets arrested for nothing, essentially. Being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And that's what kind of kicks off to him, wait, this is way worse than I thought. And going to prison, normally a really bad thing that you have to do, right? But going to prison for no reason for him actually helped protect him from everybody that was searching for him in that time. And it really helped turn him into a leader. He found a way to connect with these people from different backgrounds and a way to really lead them to find an escape. And that gave him more of a purpose where you see at the end of episode 12, he goes to Luthen and is just like, hey, bring me on or kill me. It's in your hands now, but I'm all in for this cause after what it did to me, my family, my home planet. I It just was wrapped up so beautifully. Yes, 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 and yes. Everything that you said. He's alone. And now he's seen, he's been victimized so many times in his life, but even more so by this, you know, insane way that he ends up in prison for a crazy amount of time, which, (coughs) excuse me, which we learn is going to be indefinitely. Um, And I understand. Now, I'll be very curious going into season two where we know in Rogue One, you know, we end this season with Andor making the decision, I'm joining the resistance. Like, I'm in. Kill me or I'm in. And clearly Luther's like, yes, join us. <laughs> like the dark side. Yeah, which um, is great because Luthen was there or had people mm-hmm. there to, to kill, kill Cassian. You knew everybody yes. was going to try to find a way to reunite, especially in the last episode. But you see Luthen kind of off in the side a lot of times where he's observing, watching what's happening here. He's not actively searching out and trying to kill Andor, right? He has people looking for that. But he is more trying to see the dynamics of what's happening in Ferrix. How is the rebellion actually reaching a larger audience here? And he can see when basically the Empire does the whole thing. Well, we told them only 10 people can attend the funeral. They push back and want 100. And we, we settled for 20 or whatever it was so that they feel like they have some power. But that wasn't the case at all. Everybody came out for the funeral and the songs. And it just... It was a really touching moment, especially when you have the the hologram, which basically goes, fight, kill these fuckers, let's go, this is our time, I didn't die for no reason, we need to push back on the Empire, they cannot keep treating us this way, and that just kicked off, in my opinion, the larger rebellion that's about to ensue. Yeah, Marva just absolutely i thought she'd have more of a role in it but it is great to see that great actress she does have her moment in the end as the hologram and it just brings everything together when she i mean i always go back to this when she when andor finds out she's dead returns back to ferrix and Balin is just telling him her last words to him essentially like she knew how he would be guilt feeling guilty coming back 
And when she said the line, tell him I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong, I'm like, what a devastating line. And also, like, the perfect line for Andor, who is constantly reconciling what Marva, who Marva was, right? Um, and who she wanted him to be. And he just always rebelled against that. He always is like, I'm not that person. Um, that you want me to be. And she's like, you've been through so much. I don't need you to be a certain way, but like, I know you're going to get there. There's always that underlying of like, but I know you are going to be on this side. You're going to be a fighter. It's just, you know, and if you don't, that's okay. It was so touching. Can I do my Luthan, um, uh, voice to see if I can just say a quick line from his calm, kindness, kinship, love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. Now, wow, my- bravo, bravo. Give her the Academy Award right now. As uh, <laughs> it's just, It was so good. It was chilling. Yep. It was like, I know that I'm a bad person. I know that I'm the one that's killing people, and they're killing people. And if you just bring it down to the bare bones of murder, we're both evil villains. But, murder. like, I understand that's what I've had to become for people to have a more pure means to fight like a Luke, like a Leia. Like I have to be the monster in the dark in this early rebellion so that people can have a little less blood on their hands and win. And I won't even see that win. That is devastating. Devastating. And so that's good. why we love the show. Cause it gets into those inner workings of how everything is done. Right. We have the senators trying to wire money and he needs to Luther needs to be the hard ass. He needs to sacrifice people. He needs to try to get funds in whatever way he can in order to drive the greater good down the line. It's one of those lines like, yeah, I'm a bad guy, but I'm doing it for good reasons. So can you really blame me? And people go back and forth. But eventually the people that are there for the cause realize this is a necessary Thing that needs to happen in order for us to make change down li- down the line and getting Cassian on his side as we know turns out to be critical because he leads the Rogue One mission and gets the blueprints for the Death Star to the rebel group in order for them to move on and then the bad guys just keep building bigger and better Death Stars with one week point but we won't <laughs> dig into we won't talk about the first right resistance that grows after the empire gets struck down we, yeah. we won't talk about how it just kind of keeps going and going but anywho they save the day for that time being um i'll be curious because rogue one of course starts with Andor being bitter about the resistance and what they're able to truly accomplish so we're kind of at like a high point for Andor where he's yep. seen how it can change lives and is for the good and somehow in season two which is i guess gonna span the course of four years he becomes bitter towards it so i wonder if it's like it's kind of like when you start something you you say you're like i'm i want to play soccer and you have a really great game you're like i freaking rock at this then you join a team and in comparison you suck you're like "Eh, never mind i thought i was really good against people who've never played but well it's like hitting um, your head up against a wall right where he, yeah. especially his personality, he wants things to change immediately. He wants to make this so everybody can be better off right now. And it's a long game. It's not something you can change overnight. You need to build the allies. You need to build the infrastructure in order yes. to to make change 5, 10, 20 years down the line. It can't happen in a couple months. And just his perspective on things 
he is impatient. He needs things done immediately. And that probably is what gets to him, I imagine, in season yes. two. Yes, and that's that's kind of where I was trying to go with the soccer metaphor is that he had he was part part of the this huge thing that's going to start a bunch of stuff. And he was just part of it, and they won. They had a, su- a success. So he's thinking, yeah, if I do badass things like that every time, we'll be done in a year. And I think probably what happens is that he realizes – it takes so many things, so much time and people to get to that one big important moment. And so maybe he kind of goes in like, we're going to have that every other week, and it's not the case. I just want to say where where Serial ends up, I, I'm still so confused at his character and what's going to happen Did with that. Did you call him Serial instead of Cyril? Yes, yeah. I'm calling him Serial because, because he, he eats the blue cereal. cereal all the time? Perfect. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I, there was some weird chemistry in that closet with Deidre that they ended up in. I, I see how they're maybe now going to be together, whether that's together together or that's just as an evil villain duo. I don't know. But he's probably the character I least care about. And Mom Mothma, I just struggle to kind of see. She's play, They're playing her a very slow game progression towards her story. And when it gets to the Mom Mothma parts, I find myself going... What's Andor up to, you know? Really? I really enjoy the Mon Mothma stuff because it's getting into those dynamics of she is somebody who is kind of in the Empire, but she is trying to find ways to get out and how complicated and dangerous that is for somebody in that position. So some parts I can see where you're coming from, but I think every time she's on screen is pretty electric. Because she has Oh, to... yeah, no. my I, I've been electrified to death because oh, I'm just really? going to sit okay. there like... It's good. Well, it's I'm just, right. You're wrong. Little... And we can just move on then. Yeah. Well, you know, wrong opinions only. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So interesting. Okay. I hear what do you. you think Mon about... Mothma sympathizer. <laughs> what do you think about Cinta? Do you think Cinta is Cassian's sister? What? That is a wild thing you just said. I've never heard that. You have not considered that at all? She's no. She's got kind of the complexion, right, from the home planet. He has not seen his sister in how long he... She knows she's a foreigner. You haven't. I don't know. I, I feel no, like there not, might be a connection. That one there. thought until you just said that out of your mm. mouth hole. Did not think about that once. That really? is interesting. I wonder no, if I'm on the outs. So that's, that's crossed that'd my be mind. so dumb. Why would that be dumb though? I think it's if he was working with her and he has been. She was trying to kill him. I just find it so like in season two, say he were like they had some moment where maybe they said something from their home country and something registered there. I'd be like, uh, the sister under your nose the whole time. Uh, you know, I, oh, I, I, feel a little, I would feel a little unsatisfied with that being the whole, like I've been looking for my sister and she's been right there the whole time. See, my interpretation like, eh. is that if it is his sister, she dies. And after she dies is when he finds out who she was. And then that kind of throws him on a rampage to, you know, there is a little sad boy within you. Cause look at you writing an even more tragic storyline for Andor. You are in there. They they (laughs) sounds like me a little bit. They left hints. (laughs) How can we make this even sadder for him? How can he be more devastated by more family members that have died under his watch or lack of watch? That's brilliant, Justin. That's for me. Well, Rogue One, (laughs) there's no mention of his sister, so I can't imagine she's still alive in Rogue One or there would have been mention of it, right? You were like, what's right? worse than 
then his planet exploding and his mom dying without him there. And then also ultimately at the end of his life, he explodes on a planet. I know his sister was there the whole time. And then she dies and he realizes it after. I'm going to mark this. So (laughs) in a year when we watch season two, that I can play this back. Like I told you, Cinta was his sister. Jesus. Some people have to agree me. I can't can't wait because I'm literally going to sit there like, I will. I will. I'll give it to you, too. I'll give your kudos when it comes. I won't be happy about it, but I will. That's interesting. Cinta's also terrible. So that... that but um... she she is totally for the cause, and she has a reason, because her home oh, planet yeah. was ruined by the Empire, and then she lost her brother, and she was by herself there. So I, I'm saying... And she was a bit of a badass, trying to look up to her brother. She's a little She's younger totally, than him. T- totally badass. I just... I struggle with the, like... They're so good at creating characters that have two parts, and maybe that's why I struggle with Cinta because she's so one. She has this relationship with Val, but she's so like not even focused on the relationship, yeah. even. And it gets to the point where I feel bad for Val. Like I'm like, girl, like you're kind of in a loving, loveless relationship right now because Cinta is is dedicated to the resistance. It's definitely not you. She didn't even pick you up at the airport. She's not even looking at you, or she's looking at where she can kill Andor. I mean, like, she has to literally go, can you turn around and, like, acknowledge me at any point? I mean, brutal. Val is a glut for punishment in this relationship. I want to root for them, but it's just... That doesn't age well. No, Val yeah. is Val's a, a rich girl who's trying to uh, slum it up in the uh, rebellion here, so... She's probably Can't my least favorite character. Can't you see the same of Leia? Can't you see the same of Leia? Yes, you can. I'm just saying. This is yeah. why Darth Vader and Anakin is the true. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no, no. We can't. Palpatine, we gotta... rise again. No, Are you okay. trying to get me to enjoy the dark side of what's happening here? <laughs> uh, you know, I am okay. a fan of the dark side, but that's for another podcast. I've learned. I've learned in this discussion you are a fan of the dark side. I see the dark side within. Um, only the sis deals in absolutes. <laughs> and again, okay, okay. Before we go on my Obi Wan tangent here, let's wrap up Andor. Excited for season two. I think we both are. So hopefully we get it next year. Fingers crossed. Yeah, they haven't announced a release date yet, but but let's hope that we get another full twelve episodes. I love that it's a twelve yes. episode and not one of these mm-hmm. six eight episode nonsenses that Disney Plus occasionally does. Agreed. Let's go right into a film discussion as we just recently saw Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Let's do it. Okay, so Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. We just recently saw this film. I usually like to wait a bit for Marvel films because the crowds are so big. So I'm always like, let me kind of hit that sweet spot where it's not quite leaving theaters yet, but like it's a little empty. And it was pretty empty when we got there. So we did get in at a good point. Um, I don't know if you saw a note on our um, notes for this episode yet, but I have Kayla Vent on Marvel. Yeah, that's um, why I threw it to you right off the bat here. I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I want to see if you share this vent, I guess. We all know that Marvel is building the Young Avengers, okay? Um, and we are now in this era of the old welcoming in the new. Um, Young Avengers, we don't have, like, a set listing, but we presume it's going to be Wicked and Speed, which is Wanda's kids. You have America Chavez from the Multiverse. You have Kate Bishop, Hawkeye. You have Kid Loki, which I didn't even finish Loki, but I know that he was a character in it. You have Miss Marvel, great show. Uh, Scar, 
who you would know if you watch She-Hulk, um, which is essentially Hulk's son <laughs> that he just comes back with at the end of the episode with no explanation of how he got him. Um, and then you have Ironheart, which was introduced in this film, kind of forever, uh, aka like Iron Man. Um, and then you have potentially Cassie Lang, who's going to be Scott Lang's daughter in The Wasp, um, which is my least favorite Marvel movie. There's so, too much. Let's just cut off Marvel right now. Just cut them <laughs> off. We're done. So I now again, I could eat my words if Young Avengers ends up being just a masterpiece of youth. But I am struggling with trying to enjoy the characters that I have while I have them because I feel like they're on a time, you know, like, is this the last time I see Thor? Is this the last time I see, you know, whoever? And half of it is building the next teen that's going to be in the next movie. I had listened to a podcast recently that was like, I'm attached to the characters that I started with, like an Iron Man. So it's a struggle to watch like an Ironheart and be like, this is my Iron Man. I don't really want like an equivalent i want maybe a new character that's totally different i don't want like iron man jr captain america jr like you know ant man jr i want a different i'm struggling and i struggled in this film which we'll go into but i'm struggling in the other films i'm struggling with like half the movie is to build the next one i'm not i'm not totally sold on it yet so the adopted teen and the way that they do it doesn't feel organic to me you know, like they just happen upon her on this college and she's like this genius who's like Iron Man and builds a suit. You know, th the other movies, they just, you know, Hawkeye finds Kate Bishop in the street. I mean, I'm struggling. What about you? Are you noticing that in the films that it's taking up space? Yeah, I agree. I think the overall plot lines have started to get a little too muddy, too, too out there. It doesn't make sense to me watching some of these films. And, you know, when we get into kind of the, the deeper dive here on Wakanda forever. I felt that a little bit about the movie where they manufactured a plot line in order to bring a lot of these characters together, which you have to do to an extent. And I understand with Chad McBoseman's passing, you know, they were under some very unique circumstances there, but I lose the joy in these movies when you are trying to look for one specific thing that's going to carry you to something else that you don't know yet. And having all these TV shows and all these movies that just keep pushing the buck down the line. Like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to a conclusion later, later, later. Here you go. Keep moving on. Who's the big bad? You know, there's not a lot of information that's happening, especially in this phase. What are we in phase four right now, Kayla? It's just, uh, it's lacking. Yes, we've ended phase four now with this film. It's lacking for me. I, I need to have more interest in these major characters like how it all started and with everybody just, just jumping in and out i don't like it it's just reading like a little goofy to me like i i took these adult because they were adults like starting like all these characters were you know maybe they got their powers as a team but we were kind of seeing them in adult form i don't know if it's something like i'm taking them more seriously than some of these teens that are like a little goofy some of them and so I'm like, I'm trying to picture them all together battling. And I'm just a little like, is this Avengers light? Like, am I just watching the kid version of Avengers? You know, I remember watching Endgame, like terrified, traumatized, like, oh my God, anyone's going to die at any moment. Who's going to come back from this? I don't know about this. You know, I, I think it takes some of the seriousness of it as much as you, if that makes sense for like a car, you know, a comic movie, I don't know. Yeah, I think that makes sense, and 
I think it's a little interesting that we're talking about it with Black Panther because I this is my favorite Marvel movie of the year. I think they did oh. it pretty pretty well where they it's isolated in the Black Panther universe for the most part. Obviously, there's other people that have been introduced, but it's not like oh hey here's Thor he pops up out of nowhere or here's Spider Man or here's this it it is fairly isolated and I'm glad they did it that way because. I'm able to dive more into the character development in this, like basically having to deal with uh, princess Shuri the whole time. You, you learn more about her. You learn more about her motivations, where she's coming from, where she's going to Okoye obviously was a fan favorite after the first black Panther and spending I more time is so much. So uh, much. yeah. Spending more time with those characters is much more interesting to me than, okay, introduce some new one that just came out out of nowhere because, you know, she's a brilliant MIT scientist, which doesn't track with anything else. I, anyway. And she's just kind of like a fan, you know, she's a fan of Wakanda and, and her parts were just, didn't have a lot of substance to me other than to introduce her. And I love that actress. I like, I like seeing where she's going to end up as Ironheart, but I just felt, it felt very like, now we need our equivalent of a team that's going to take up the next Avenger hole that we have right now. And she's just there to cheer on everyone. You know? I, I don't know. Yep. Something, I struggle. I struggle a bit with that, like I said. But I agree going to the film, I expected tears. Part of that was my, like, not rush to see this film because I was just like, alright, here we go. And tears definitely came. It was... Like you said, very hard to fill a hole. And I felt like they did it well. Um, it kind of reminded me a bit of Glee. And you're going to be like, how the hell does this relate to Glee? How the hell does this relate to Glee, Kayla? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that, Justin. You know, famously, Corey Monteith, the actor who has played the lead male character in the show, was in the show dating the lead female character, Rachel, and they also were the actors dating in real life. So it's a little bit like show is representing real life. And he died from a drug overdose. And the show had to then imply kind of drug use, but never said it. And it, it kind of related to real life, like the sudden passing and how the characters dealt with it, knowing that the actors were really dealing with that too. They weren't feigning loss. They were going through that. So it was a little like art mirroring life. And that's okay. how I felt kind of how they had, like, this mysterious illness, which, of course, Chadwick didn't reveal his illness to a lot of people. So it was a shock, not just to an audience, but I think even to, you know, celebrities, people around in his life and his day-to-day. -day. And that's kind of how they referenced it. You know, this illness I couldn't stop, you know, like, that they were surprised. And, you know, so it felt a little like they were keeping it real to the events that happened without saying, like, the illness was cancer or anything. Um, I think it was handled it was very well tactfully. Yeah, it was handled tactfully. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like some big bad killed him. It's it's something that he was going through as a person. They make the character go through something similar, like you said. And I really started to tear up at the beginning where they're kicking off the movie. And there's basically a moment of silence. All the sound cuts out. And then they just have images of Chadwick Boseman and him as Black Panther kind of lead you into the whole kind of uh, Marvel intro. And I thought that was very nicely done. They ended with something similar, another uh, basically a moment of silence for him, which, which I'm really glad they did that way. And 
it just kicks you off like you're like wow i'm fighting back tears here and we're 40 seconds in like where's this gonna go and they did not really uh it wasn't the i guess the main focal point of what happened to him why did he die it was more so okay the loss the loss how are we dealing with the loss and how are we going to handle this while still trying to run wakanda and keep these allies and i think handling it that way was a smart move yes i completely agree it was it was hard to do i'm sure i'm sure especially like the success of the first film like you have that carried over baggage you have the state kind of a marvel right now which is kind of up and down a bit and yeah and introducing a new black panther you know that's huge that's big because they didn't just have they didn't recast the role they didn't have a new takala you know they i i thought it was well done i i was and i mean talk about the villain of the movie namor i mean this gave me a little bit like, oh yeah, this is where we were. This this is how a Marvel film should make you feel. Like great action, great story, and characters you really care about. Like, yes, bring me more of this. You know? Yeah, I agree with that. It was uh I was a little disappointed with how everything got brought up. Like, okay, so they are searching for uh vibranium at the bottom of the freaking ocean and then uh namor and his people realize it and they kill everybody and then go threaten wakanda really is that that's just okay they're finding vibranium and instead of them just being like all right let's just move to a new spot let's not murder everybody and create a massive uh war they just this just turns into an all-out uh, Wakanda versus, I can't even remember the name of the underground city that uh, Namor was basically in charge of for hundreds of years, but I just thought it was kind of sloppily thrown together a little like bit. That. And then when yeah, he, like, yeah, I can see that. He pops up, he's got the winged feet, and I am not big into the comic books. I don't know if you are, but I knew nothing about this villain until I watched the movie. And my immediate thought was, number one, he can't fly that quick with wings on his feet. Like, just the, the um, <laughs> his weight and stuff. I don't think it's going to work. The balance, you know what I'm saying there? And just cut the freaking wings off his feet. Like, wouldn't that be your first thing? Just try to cut off one of those and, you know, hurt him a little bit and go from there. I, I don't know. But Kayla's <laughs> just staring at me blankly right now, so I don't know. I am not going to lie. When I first saw the winged feet, I was like, oh, he's wearing, like, really cool shoes. I didn't realize, like, they were a part of them until they said it, um, which was pretty funny. I think in the comics, like, he's from Atlantis, and he is just kind of what you see there. This guy that, like, if if I'm to help my people and my, my home see them um, – is to work with you, then I'll do it. If it if I have to kill you to get it, then that's fine too. He's kind of this. But know. my question is, why did he and his army not just destroy the machine and then find the person who created it and kill them themselves? Why did they have to enlist Wakanda into this venture here to find the MIT kid? Yes, I think it's because it just would be him because his people need the sea. I mean, yeah, they have their, you know, they're at a disadvantage on land. So they're going to the Wakandans like, can you land people 
go do this for us because we would definitely lose people with the sea mass and they're not like suited for land. And um, now that you're to bringing get it, it up done. Too. And we work together. We're allies because yeah. we both have this thing that, that these colonizers are trying to get to. It's like, let's work together. You do this thing. That kind of is similar to like where I had an issue, which is when Namor like has their first battle um, with Wakanda and just like wrecks it. I mean, holy hell, they were not prepared. Yeah. And then he's like, I'll see you in a week. I just killed your mom, which was also, we could talk about that. Um, I'm like, what? What evil villain has the girl, like, can get to the girl that he's literally creating a war to get? And just is like, I'm going to give you a week to maybe prepare next time so less of your people die. Bye. What? Also, that made no sense to me. They None. had her and Shuri on the bridge right there. They could have just murdered her then. And not started anything else. So why did they keep her alive? There, it just, it wasn't making sense to me on why they handled that. I, as you were talking, I was thinking they probably didn't want to go after them on land themselves because they're still trying to basically be a secret civilization, so nobody knows about them, so they don't come looking for them. So that's why they get Wakanda. Right. Wakanda's out in society. People know about Wakanda and. They're actually trying to steal all the Wakanda shit anyway. So they are a good, good kind point, of, good uh, point. yeah, a good goat to be like, well, they're actually angry. You're going after their vibranium. So it makes sense that they're killing all of you instead of this secret civilization that nobody knows about. Yeah. So there were, there were a few times I was like, mm, it's a little convenient how easily you found this chick in college, how she just had that super suit already built. You weren't really seeing no montage of something. She just was ready to go. Here's three vehicles I just happen to have in my garage that we can all escape on. Um, and if the CIA and all of these massive institutions are using what she has created with all these spare parts, you mean to tell me they haven't taken that apart and like taken notes and made blueprints about how to build that again? Like, come on. Come on. It's not a one and, and done type of situation there. Yeah, we definitely and, have and some And it doesn't questions. seem like she was paid. They should have paid her very handsomely for that, I would imagine. Uh, who knows? Yes. I think um, overall, I think the choice to have Shuri as the uh, Leticia Wright as the Black Panther, like, made sense. I mean, that's where I saw it um, going. I could see it one of two ways. Um, I wish they had a little more Koye. They, like, shamed her a bit in this and, like, downsized her. But I thought she was a star of the first film. For um, sure. I would have liked to see a little more of her because she's just so funny. She's such a good actress. Um, there were some, like, Michaela Cole was in the film, and but barely. Like, I thought she would be more of a character in the film. And you get, like, a glimpse that she's married um, in the end, but... That's it. So I was kind of surprised not that she didn't have more of a role in it. Um, overall, though, I think great. Like, give me three. But again, here's the question: like, how long are we gonna wait for another Black Panther film? Is it like what, another five years, six years? You know? Yeah, it's who knows with the timeline anymore. I can't keep track. There's still a few of the TV series I haven't watched, like She Hulk or Miss Marvel. So. I am just a, a bad Marvel fan, I guess. I don't know how anybody keeps up with all of this and has a separate full-time job. If this was our full-time job, cool. I could do this. <laughs> We'd be but, golden, yeah. But it's not. So I don't know how, <laughs> how the time is found to watch all of those as well as all the other TV shows and movies that we like to watch. It's, it's becoming more of 
like uh, more of a job than it is a fun <laughs> hobby for these Marvel shows specifically because there's people that pop up and I'm like, oh, where did she come from? Oh, she was in one of the TV shows I didn't watch, so I don't know the connection there. So now that I watched it, I need to do research and freaking homework to understand what this means in the overall universe. And who wants to do that for every single movie that comes out? Like once in a while, okay, to understand the lore behind it. But when you are just trying to uh, put pieces together and build the puzzle that it seems like Marvel is just throwing a whole bunch of shit at the wall and hoping it sticks. No, it loses the fun out of it for me. You know, Kevin Feige is really like basically just Feige. trust me, trust me, tr Feige, thank you. <laughs> trust me, trust me. Because of the world that he built, you know, in phase one, two, and three, like you're just like, I'm on board. You, you've delivered him more. Um, but he's really asking a lot in this phase, I got to say, as we look at it as a whole. Because I'm just not understanding what... I'm not seeing how this compares to before. And maybe that's where I'm just shouldn't be doing point blank period. I should be looking at this as a whole new thing. But it's hard when you kind of came off this like 10 year scope of films that ended in such a way to like, we're just having the teen version now. So what's that's what's happening here, you know? Yeah, let's, uh, I guess let's wrap up unless you have anything else for the Black Panther discussion here. I enjoyed Excited the movie. To see Excited to see we saw Takala has a son now, and so that sure he just got introduced towards the end. So I'm curious to see how. Did you mispronounce T'Challa? Did I? I? I don't know. I'm just saying. Reverse, Kayla. reverse. I'm sure we can <laughs> go back 15, 30 seconds. Uh, or if Justin, who listens to things on twice speed, um, can like catch most my normal people do. My wife and I actually. <sighs> side note here: I was listening to something on for her 1.2 uh -huh. times speed, so that it doesn't seem crazy. And she's like, can we switch it down? I go, what do you mean? It's This is as low as it goes. She goes, no, this is clearly not one time speed. I put it on one time speed. To me, it sounds like people are slurring their words and drunk. Like, I can't handle it. It is insane. I am 1.8 most of the time or 1.5 now. Sometimes Is she one speed. then? Is your wife one? She My one? wife is one and I can't stand it because Thank it you. sounds like I am listening to a drunken idiot talk. It's just like what is 1.2 is the absolute minimum and that still is too slow. I think it's because you have listened to chipmunks talk for too long that the idea of someone normally speaking is foreign to you. Um just Wild. train your ears, Kayla. Train no, your ears. No. Be I want to hear how things. people naturally Maximum talk, efficiency. Okay? Maximum no. efficiency. When I edit this podcast, I'm at 1.5 minimum times speed. I'm aware. And if I listen to one, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we sound terrible. This is brutal. Does everybody hear all of this? But at 1.5, it's great. So if you don't wow. like our podcast, just listen at 1.2 or 1.5 times speed. It gets Make sure better. Great, great stuff. <laughs> Um, to wrap up phase four, what was your favorite, least favorite film of the bunch here? My favorite is probably Black Panther slightly ahead of Spider-Man okay. No Way Home. And my least okay. favorite, I have to go with Eternals by a long shot. What oh, okay. Okay. My favorite is, of yeah, course. Yeah, we know, Kayla. Black Widow, which I've yeah. seen probably triple digit amount of times. But Spider-Man would be right right there with yeah. it as far as not that film i've seen it many times um my least favorite store love and thunder yeah that was disappointing we did a pod on that earlier this year so check it out difficult if you're difficult interested watch. into it but definitely of course not we conclude what I with 
we conclude with a lot of the TV shows too, which I don't think you've seen too many, but some good, some bad. Watch She-Hulk, people. Watch She-Hulk. Yeah, uh, Moon Knight my... was not a fan. Hawkeye didn't mind it. Loki was good. WandaVision was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then I, what if I started watching but haven't finished that either? Again, I don't want to do homework when I'm trying to enjoy myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. We got a lot in our schedule. So I think that wraps up our Black Panther Wakanda Forever. What are your VHS ratings for this film, Justin? Out of six. I will give it a... Ooh, I'm between a four and a five. I'm going to go a four just because some of the plot points seemed a little forced to me. And I'm also going to go with the four. So we are decided on this. Um, okay. I think that wraps up the film, our Marvel phase four. We'll see what's ahead and let's go ahead and get to our Swarly of the week. All right. So my Swarly is going to be James Gunn who is taking over the DC films because they're pretty much garbage. Sorry, DC fans, but I mean, except for the Batman there. Yes. Batman's great. I argue Wonder Woman, the first one was brilliant. The second one was trash. And that's kind of where my Swarley comes in. They have canceled Wonder Woman 3. And right after Gal Gadot tweeted, like, on Instagram, or tweeted or was on Instagram and said that, like, I can't wait to return to this character and bring you, you know, a rich story. And then the next day it was announced that they're probably not going forward with it, which is also kind of funny. The reason I say that is because the first one was brilliant. Stonin. To quote Olivia Cook, season two was garbage, a garbage fire. I needed three to be the redemptive arc to Wonder Woman. So the idea that I, I could possibly just have to end on the second film, which tried to undo all of the good things in the first film, is a brutal thing to, to have. I think Gal Gadot is a great Wonder Woman. Um, and I, I'm bummed that I can't maybe end her arc. I mean, if this is to be the case, with a better film than two landed on. If I just have one good one, one bad one, that kind of sucks for me. So, James Gunn, I understand you got to completely blow everything up because it's trash. But there's some good things in there. Please, maybe just shine them up, buff them up a bit. Some things can shine and blossom, okay? we we Forget the Flash, okay? Forget it. Aquaman, whatever. Um, but <laughs> Wonder Woman... Just give me a redemptive arc for her is all I'm saying. So that's my Swarly of the Week. Okay. Interesting choice. Yeah, 1984 mm-hmm. was trash, as you said, a, a whole bunch of times. Yes. It was just not good. And even though it was an interesting concept, the way they had that planned out, it was just not executed at all. So my Swarly of the Week is John Hyman. Are you familiar with him? Uh, no, you're not. So anyway, he is a baseball reporter. And these past couple weeks, they are uh, an MLB hot stove. So you have all of these free agents are either signing or there's trades happening. It's kind of your big uh, offseason for baseball. And the big one that everybody is waiting to hear on is Aaron Judge. He set the American League home run record, 62 home runs this year, won the AL MVP, just a star in New York. And he is a free agent, and everybody is bidding for him to basically come to their team. So everybody's kind of waiting, like, what's going to happen? Where are the, uh, where's this all going to lie? And John Heyman tweets, first off, he tweets, Arson Judge is signing with the San Francisco Giants. He misspells his name in the first tweet. That's number one. 
Number two, he follows that up a few minutes later. Does not just correct the Aaron Judge uh, misspelling. He goes, well, actually, the Giants have not formally heard from Judge on if he's signing with them yet, but we expect it to happen soon. A couple hours later, Aaron Judge signs back with the New York Yankees. So he just got everything wrong within a couple hours span. And he's supposed to be like a reputable reporter. And he just spelled the name wrong, got the information wrong, got the team wrong, got the contract wrong. And Aaron Judge signs for a very reasonable nine years, $360 million. Nine years? Does he have nine? Is he young? Like, does he? Is it uh, he's like, like uh, <laughs> no, he, that's a long contract. But this is what happens after somebody has a, a massive season like that. I think he's what, 30 years old or late twenties or 30. So that puts him into his late thirties and that's just, it's not going to end well, but these teams, this is what they do. They give out these massive 10 year, 250, $300 million contracts. And then usually by the time they're in year four or five, the guys hurt or too old or can't produce. And they just have a sunk cost for the last five years, just how it goes. But in order to keep them on your team for the next few years, when you have a chance to make a run, you need to overpay, and Yankees did it again. Hopefully it works out, as I am a big Yankees fan, so fingers crossed. I'm glad they kept them. Money's just money. It's just paper, right? It doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> Kayla just being like, what are you what even is talking paper? about? <laughs> what is money these days? Um, <laughs> I Okay, was he normally a trustworthy like reporter? Like, Is this just like... Yeah, he, he's been like, he's like, bad you know, fumble or Twitter verified and he's not, I have not. What does that him, mean anymore? Yeah, you know? that's true. That's true. <laughs> I have not heard him as like one of the uh, preeminent baseball reporters, but he is, he is known. So he just completely okay. flubbed this one up big time. All right. Well, swarly behavior, if anything. Um, let's get to our friendship question of the week, which Justin, I think you had chosen. Yes, I did indeed, and this week we are going to go with, how are you most like your father, and how does that scare you, Kayla? It scares me a lot, and actually I've had that conversation with my dad many times about how much it scares me, how similar we are. Um, I mean, I've always been compared to my dad a lot because I look like him the most, I think, and I mean, when he... You know, my mom tells the story a lot of how when he was in the military and they'd pick me up from, like, the daycare in this cul-de-sac we lived in on base, he they would be like, usually you need to see your military ID to, like, pick up the kids. You're not kidnapping someone. And they just were like, yeah, here's your kid. And just handed me off to him because it was like, no question. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, we're similar. He's more anxious than my parents, my dad. My dad can worry like no other. Um, I definitely get that from him. He's, he has a like work ethic, like perfectionism a bit. Um, my mom's more go with the flow, but my dad's more like meticulous and like when he's into something, he's into something. Um, and then I think like feelings wise expressing, we're very similar. Um, we're more like reserved a bit. And I think a lot of people in his life could think that they know him, but if they had to like say five facts about him, they'd be like, Oh, wait a minute. Uh, uh, you know, and I think sometimes that can be me. So I'm very similar to my dad and I feel sometimes good in the parts that I like and, uh, scared in the parts that I don't want to be like him, you know, no offense, dad. So yeah, that's how I feel. That is fair enough for me. 
I, uh, I think I'm a little bit more like my mother, like mm-hmm. her competitive streak. But on my dad's side, I think it's his lack of patience on mm-hmm. things. He very much, he constantly needs to be moving. He constantly needs to be doing something. But then he does not have patience if it's a long, drawn-out task where he wants it done immediately. And he gets frustrated if shit hits the fan or if it doesn't go as planned. And for those of you who know me, I can tend to do that as well. I'll be like, no, we need to do it right now. Let's do it right now. And then you try to do it and you hit a snag and you're like, what the hell? This is infuriating. How do I fix this? And that is something I 100% get from my father. And even doing some like little things (laughs) around the house, like uh, working on on the plumbing or some random thing, you can see it. Cause it's like, let's just break the damn thing and we'll buy a new one and fix it. Like that's the level of frustration we get when a simple task does not go simply. If that makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah, I maybe have seen that happen even in this, uh, thing we're using right now. It's kind of like <laughs> the glaze over that happens in your eyes when things aren't working like you expect and you can see the boiling rage, underneath so yeah that makes sense to me yeah Yeah, for sure for sure yeah i'm not great at hiding the boiling rage underneath the surface i just have like a dead stare like an angry face so it's like the kobe bryant the hulk within you know (laughs) (laughs) that's great that's great um okay i think that wraps it up we did our top five tv shows top five films we covered some marvel we covered Andor finishing up as we come to this year it's closing it's ending but we still got two more episodes for you so tune in and we'll see you next week well that's it for this episode of wrong opinions only please follow us on instagram at wrong opinions only and on twitter at wrong opinions jk where we'll be dropping some clues and hints to upcoming episodes until then jk 